Welcome into another Busting Brackets podcast. I'm your host, Brian Ralph, joined, of course, as always, with Connor Hope. We have Adam Childs and Jason Burgess here with us as well, breaking down the first week of conference championship, conference tournaments. It's officially March, boys. It's a good time. It is the best time of year. <laughs> Easily the best time of year. You can take Christmas in December. I'll take March again. So NCAA tournament and conference tournaments, this is the best time. I think we'll get started. There are a lot of mid-major tournaments mostly this week. I guess before we get into each conference, what maybe is that you're most looking forward to watching this week, Connor? Um, for me, I mean, the tournament that I'm most looking forward to, obviously, based on my rankings uh, that I released this past weekend of the conference tournaments, is the Southern Conference. Um, it is the tournament, I think, that has the most – NCAA tournament implications attached to it, seeing as it is probably the only tournament this week that could breed a multi-bid conference, even if the favorite doesn't win. So obviously the WCC if Gonzaga loses in a multi-bid conference, but I think the Southern Conference is the only one where there's a second team that could possibly uh, make it even if Wofford doesn't win. And I think it'll be interesting to see how the tournament weighs uh, UNC, Greensboro, or a Furman if they one beats the other and then they lose close to Wofford. Uh, I also think that the top of that conference of all the conferences this week is probably the strongest. So that semifinal final round is probably going to be the most fun to watch. Yeah, I want to circle back to the SoCon in a little bit. But Jason, what conference tournament are you excited about the most this week? Well, since Connor took the soak on, I'm going to go with the OVC. I mean, I think we're all praying for a belmont Murray State final. Oh, yeah. Just so we can see oh, what, yeah. those two go out of the game. But it's not just those two teams. you got Jacksonville State that's lurking there, and Austin P um, is lurking there as well. So, again, like the soak on, the uh, semifinal and final rounds of the OVC are going to be extremely fun to watch as well. Adam, uh, what are you looking for this week? You know, I'm I'm kind of curious about the Atlantic Sun Conference. Um, you know, Lipscomb obviously has, has been pretty good in there, but, you know, Liberty's tied with them. Um, and, you know, Lipscomb dropped the game the other week to Florida Gulf Coast, who is playing a lot better. Um, I'm really interested to see if, if Lipscomb loses that game, you know, are they the legitimate shot at maybe getting at large? I know people are, are down on them a little bit because they don't have the, the, um, the quality wins. But, you know, they played really well. So I think that's one where, um, you know, if you're on the bubble, you might be looking at that one a little bit and hoping Lipscomb wins and, and doesn't have a shot at it. Yeah, and I'd just like to add that I think everyone should be looking forward to the MAC. Um, <laughs> and the, it is an awful conference, uh, top to bottom, pretty much. I mean, the top is really close, but it's also not that good. But to me, the the Mac is, is kind of like uh, the big East in a way where all the teams just hate each other. And even when there is a clear favorite, they just love to beat up on each other. And the fact that the top five seeds are separated by a single game in the standings uh, should make it a little bit more interesting than it otherwise would be. How crazy is it that Iona came all the way back to take the top seed in that tournament? <laughs> Only in the Mac. 
that's probably one I think to watch just in terms of parody. Cause I think, you know, just from opening night, anybody could win. And if you're just a fan of pure college basketball and there may not be the highest quality basketball played, but just close game after close game after close game, the feeling of March, you're really going to get that in, in every game in that tournament, I think. But I want to circle back to the SoCon. As Connor mentioned, we, we've talked about this a little bit on, the, on podcasts in the past. SoCon has three or four teams that are have legitimate NCAA tournament aspirations. I think uh, we can all maybe agree that Wofford is firmly in. Maybe if they lose early, they fall in the bubble, but I would imagine they would get in anyway. Uh, Connor, since you brought them up, um, who of the other teams in the SoCon, I think we're looking at Furman on the bubble. We're looking at um, – who's the other team? UNC Greensboro. UNC Greensboro. UNC Greensboro is someone on the bubble. East Tennessee State's another really good team in there. I think they're in the four spot. What are you looking for from, from maybe those four teams, and who do you think has the best chance to, to win that conference tournament to unseat Wofford uh, and maybe make the NCAA tournament as an at-large if they don't beat Wofford? So I'm going to say this, uh, when I was filling out the Jerome this week, I actually went with Furman to win the SoCon. Uh, part of it was I really am hoping that the SoCon gets someone other than Wofford to win so that they can secure that two bids. But I also think that Furman is one of those teams that maybe didn't underperform uh, heading into or in, during SOCOM play, but I think they've proven during non-conference play that they can play at that high level if they try, uh, if they are hitting their shots, if they're playing good defense. So I think that Wofford, I don't want to say they're due for a bad game, but I think that Furman and UNC Greensboro, if they were to meet Wofford, would probably have a better than decent shot at unseating them. But I went with Furman, actually. I, I didn't even have Wofford winning it. One of the things I look for in March are those teams that pulled off major upsets over power conference teams or quality teams back in December and November that we may have forgotten about. And I think Furman is one of those teams with a win they had at Villanova. Jason, do you like Furman's chances to maybe unseat Walford, or would you put UNC Greensboro ahead of them? Um. Well, I did the preview for the site, and I actually had – a Wofford-Furman final. I actually think Furman is a little better than Greensboro. That might be because the two chances that Greensboro had against Wofford, they got absolutely blown out. So it might be a little bit of the eye test. But Furman's got a guy like Matt Rafferty who leads that team in pretty much every statistical category as a 6'8 forward. And Jordan Lyons, who put up 54 against, granted it was North Greenville, but he can absolutely go off. And as Connor was saying, with the, uh, with the um, experience they've gotten earlier in the year, beating Nova and beating uh, Loyola, I think even if they don't beat Wofford, they're the team that has the best shot in it at large out of the SoCon. Adam? Are you still liking Wofford to win? Uh, would you go with the Furman UNC Greensboro, or does somebody outside of that top group um, make a run? You know, I I like Wofford a lot, but, you know, anytime a team goes undefeated through conference play, it just seems like they're right to kind of maybe have a letdown in the tournament and maybe get picked. 
Um, obviously, like you said, Brian, you know, Furman has some uh, early season success against some big time teams. You know, they beat Villanova, they beat up, you know, Loyola Chicago. I know they had a little disappointing season, but, you know, coming off a final four run, you know, to beat them early. Yeah, still the um, Valley champs. Right. So they're not going to be, you know, afraid of the big time situation. So if, if I were to pick a team to upset Walford in there, um, I would guess Furman. And, and I'm kind of like uh, Connor, too. You know, I would really like to see somebody other than Walford win if Wofford's going to get in because it would be fun to get a two-team, you know, two-team bid out of that USOCon, you know, especially with that bubble being kind of soft as it is, you know? Yeah, I don't think you could keep Wofford out even if they lost in the first round because they're top 15, top 20 in net, I think. And with four losses, they'd have five in that case, but it's hard to imagine them not getting a favorable seed even if even with a loss early in the conference tournament, at least in my mind. So – I think the SoCon's best route to get multiple bids would be to have a Furman or UNC Greensboro, somebody other than Wofford, let's just say, win the conference tournament. Another conference is probably going to get two bids, I would guess, is the Ohio Valley, as long as Murray State and Belmont, one of those two, win the conference tournament. I would assume we'll probably see both in the final. Uh, Jason, and we mentioned this was the conference tournament you were most looking forward to seeing. Yep. Of those two teams, who do you have, Murray, uh, Murray State or Belmont? Um, I went with Murray State when I was filling out Jerome. Um, I think it was mainly because I want to see two overseas teams get in as well, and I think that's the only way it can happen because Murray State's schedule isn't as strong as Belmont's. So, if they were, even if they made the final against Belmont, I think they'd end up getting dinged by the committee for a lack of scheduling. Yeah, and we've seen that certainly happen in the past, even with a guy like Job Morant, who the committee may give a little bit more favor to, try and put some eyeballs maybe on the first floor by sliding them in there. It's certainly worth mentioning that Belmont has the, the strength of schedule and I think overall resume advantage. Adam, uh, taking away the conference championship, of those two, Belmont and Murray State, who do you think is best suited for an at-large bid? I think um... – I think Belmont's a better team, but I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I think it would be real hard to keep Murray State and Jamar, you know, Jamar out. Um, you know, you hate to say that they're going to pick a team because of a player, but, man, that'd be fun to have him in a tournament up against, you know, one of the big boys. So, um, I think – I don't know. I think Murray State might get in that large bit if they don't win, and I think Belmont might be on the edge um, just because of that. And I know it's not right, but – I, I just think they, they'd have a hard time keeping them out. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of uh, when LSU had Ben Simmons, and LSU was on the bubble longer than they should have simply because they had Ben Simmons. And I think the committee was trying to put them in. And then LSU didn't give them anything to work with. I think if Murray State at least gets to the conference championship game, I think they may find their way in. Connor, yeah. with Belmont and Murray State, who do you like to win the conference tournament, and who do you think maybe is the better team that we're more equipped to pull off an upset or two in the tournament? Um, right now, to, the team I like to win the conference tournament is Murray State. I think that, especially in conference tournaments, especially in smaller conference tournaments, sometimes all you need is that one player to take over, and I think that John Morant can do that. But when it comes to the NCAA tournament and pulling an upset, playing team basketball, I think for, for Cinderella's is more important. Um, I don't think that when you go in with like a John Morant or South Dakota State kind of with like a Mike Dom, it's it's not quite as easy to win because, you know, you you 
cut off the head and the body dies, right? And, and if you can take out that one player, then the better team is probably going to win. I think Belmont is better equipped for uh, the NCAA tournament, but I like Murray State to win in the conference tournament. It's fair enough. I guess we can veer ahead to the Summit League. Speaking of Mike Dom, Carter, South Dakota State, win it again. I think they've won it three or four years in a row now. They win it again, or yeah. is it uh, someone else? No, I think that South Dakota State wins it again. I think actually, I mean, a, a lot of people are going to be looking forward to that Omaha-South Dakota State uh, championship. Right now, I wouldn't be surprised if South Dakota as a six seed makes it to the championship and kind of gives South Dakota State an easy route. I think that South Dakota has has a, a, a pretty solid team. I think they underperformed a little bit in conference. Um but really, I think that South Dakota State, in terms of just pure basketball, is a better team than anyone else in the Summit. Uh, Omaha plays better team basketball, but I don't think there's any any team that in a one-game situation, uh, when South Dakota State's firing all, on all cylinders, can really contain Dom. Uh, Jason, if South Dakota State wins, let's say they get in the tournament, can Mike Dom lead them to that first round upset that they've been close to having in the past couple of years, but haven't gotten yet. I, I think he can. And the reason being is it's no longer just Mike Dom. David Jenkins can play. So there's another guy that teams are going to have to focus on. And even if it's just a little bit to take that pressure off of him, it might open things up for him even more. So if they, if they do pull off an upset – I would bet it would be this year because he finally has a Robin to go with the Batman. Yeah. I mean, he, he dropped, I think, 27 against Ohio State last year. Almost They almost won that game before Ohio State made some plays late. But they've, they've sort of been lurking around there. Adam, I want to switch gears a little bit, uh, moving to another 3,000-point scorer in Chris Clemens and Campbell in the Big South. Them and Radford have kind of been one and two, not necessarily all year long. Radford's kind of at the top and – Campbell made a late surge and actually claimed the top seed with a win over Radford. So now if they were to meet each other in the conference championship game, that's at Campbell. Of those two teams, who do you who do you like more? Do you think Clemens is good enough to lead Campbell? Uh, or do you think that Radford would, would win the tournament for a second year in a row? You know, I, I think I'm going to go with Campbell just because of the fighting Campbells. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but – Seriously, though, um, I kind of like, you know, what Connor said, you know, about Murray State a little bit, you know, and Morant, you know, in a, in, a, in a conference tournament like this, you know, you can get a guy that gets real hot and, and, and your big time score and he can just take over games. Um, and I think that gives Campbell a little bit of the edge. And then, you know, with them getting the home court advantage um, helps also. Um, either way, I think that that'd be a great game. And uh, it'd be a shame that one of them would have to lose in that. But uh, I think. I'm rooting for Campbell, and I would love to see that, you know, him in the tournament um, to see what he can do against a big boy also, kind of like, um, you know, the guy from Murray State. Yeah, it'd be great if we get all these really good major players in just to watch them and see what they can do on the big stage against uh, a Power 5 team that supposedly has all these better athletes and better players. I think that'd be a lot of fun, but unfortunately, as we know in March, one-game sample size, don't always get that. <laughs> Connor Radford is another team that had some big wins in the non-conference. They won at Texas. They won at Notre Dame. 
although Notre Dame's not necessarily a marquee win this year, but for a, a team like Radford, that's important. Do you see either – let's assume Radford or Campbell get into the tournament. Do you see either one of them being able to pull off an upset? I think that, for me, Radford is the better team. And like I like with the Ohio Valley uh, between Belmont and – uh, Murray State, I think that Radford, if they win, has a better shot at pulling an upset. But because Campbell plays at home in the championship, I think Campbell has a better shot at winning the tournament. And can I just say that I don't like the way this tournament is set up? And correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the only tournament in the country that goes from a neutral site to play at the campus site during the championship. And they have a neutral site set for those middle two rounds. And then, but why would they go back when something like this happens and there's a tie game, there's a tie, you know, atop the standings. I don't like the way it's set up. And I think it's set up in Campbell's favor, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on if you want to see Chris Clemens in the tournament or not. <laughs> I, I guess I could see, I agree with you. I think I can see the rationale behind it of you want to have maybe a balanced tournament, but want to give the higher seed an advantage in it in that one game kind of scenario but i agree if you're going to do that i think you maybe go with what the west coast conference is doing where it's essentially two game brackets and you're giving the one and two seats essentially double triple quadruple buys into the semifinals connor i know you're going to be there gonzaga's the heavy favorite can yep. anybody challenge them nope <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> I think Gonzaga wins it purely based on the fact that they only have to win two games and they probably will face San Francisco in the semifinals, which will probably be their toughest game. I think San Francisco matches up against Gonzaga a little bit better than St. Mary's or BYU. Um, I, I don't like the way this is set up either. I know why they did it. They did it to give Gonzaga the best opportunity to win the championship without having to play a really bad game and add that to their resume. Um, but a team like San Diego who got caught on that seven line, which was kind of surprising uh, now has to win what one, two, three, three games just to get to the semifinals. I think that San Diego, San Diego can do that. I think they're a dark horse, um, but I think the championship game is going to be what the championship game always is. And it's going to be St. Mary's or BYU against Gonzaga, and I think Gonzaga's going to win by double digits. I'll stick with you here because you're the expert in the West Coast Conference. San Francisco has pretty much fallen off the bubble. Do they get in if they beat Gonzaga? San Francisco, I think, needs to win the tournament. I think they're that far off um, because, I mean, I mean, some of their losses, if they had lost to St. Mary's and BYU – it wouldn't have been an issue, but they lost to like Santa Clara in a game. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think that even with beating Gonzaga, they can get in. I think St. Mary's, if they lose to Gonzaga in the championship, is probably the only other at large besides Gonzaga that WCC can have. Uh, but even then, I mean, they, like I said last week, they're what November, December, that four game stretch kind of hurt their chances. Um, I think it's, I think unfortunately as good as the WCC has been this year compared to years past, I think it's a one bid conference. 
Jason, if St. Mary's were to get in, and now full disclosure, I hate St. Mary's resume. <laughs> I think it's terrible because they haven't beaten anybody, so I don't know how they're on the bubble. But let's say they get in without the automatic bid. Do they have the potential to win a game or two in the tournament? With the caveat that it always uh, comes down to the matchup, I think they can win a game. But gone to my head, I, I say no. I say no. Because I think if they end up getting in, they're going to go to Dayton. And that's that's the one game they can win. Yeah. Well, we haven't seen it from them yet, right? No, we haven't seen them beat a, beat a quality team, like a, and, an NCAA tournament caliber team. Right. And I'm with, I'm with Connor, actually. When you're talking about sleepers, I pulled up San Diego. They're the team that I think, like Connor, can make a little run. Because they're they're veteran, they're guard oriented, and they they can they can score. Adam, I'd be remiss if I didn't get your opinion on the West Coast Conference as well. I think we can say that you would predict Gonzaga to win. Is that correct? Oh yeah, I I, I just can't I can't see anybody beating him. It's not like in the past where some of the teams kind of got close. I mean, Gonzaga is just blowing people out, and it, I mean, and it's not been. It's just, I mean, not even like they're close to begin with and they blow them out. They're just destroying teams. I just can't see anybody beating them. But let's let's say that San Francisco maybe beats them and finds the way into that large bid, and St. Mary's maybe finds their way in somehow, some way. Let's say both of those teams get it, just for the sake of argument. If that were to happen, do you trust San Francisco to win a game more or do you trust St. Mary's to win a game more? <laughs> Uh, if I if, you, if I had a pick, I would say San Francisco. I think I just seen a little bit more out of them. Like you said, St. Mary's doesn't have any big wins. But the thing is, I think either one of them, if they happen to get in, they're going to be an 11-12 seed. Uh, I, you know what? The best bet is if they're the last four teams in and they play in that first Tuesday and they play a team that's about the same as they are, they have a shot to beat them. But if they're in, you know, the first round or whatever they call it now, the first round, uh, I don't think they have a shot. I think if you're looking at St. Mary's and people are going to point to, oh, look how close they kept it um, in that first half against Gonzaga. I was at that game. <laughs> Gonzaga played that first half like they didn't know how to play basketball. I mean, not not that they weren't playing well, but St. Mary's is giving them the baseline every time, baseline drive every time, because they know that Jordan Hunter is stronger than most guards. And Gonzaga kept running that baseline and kept turning the ball over. So I think that you, if you look at the nuances of that first half, um, any other team would have immediately recognized that and not driven baseline. They would have driven, you know, towards the middle of the court where it's easier to pass the ball out, but they drove baseline. They got a couple of charges. They got a couple of turnovers, stepped out of bounds, threw the ball away. Um, so if you take that half out, I don't think St. Mary's, plays as good against top talent as San Francisco does. Yeah, the resume, they've, they've boosted the metrics by blowing out teams they should beat, which you have to give them credit for. But close in a half is not the same as being close in a game. And being close in a game doesn't give you credit for winning. Right. I, I think we're kind of grasping at straws for St. Mary's trying to make them <laughs> provide a reason as to why their metrics are so good, uh, when in reality they're just the sort of an outlier, I think, this year. I think San Francisco would have been a lot safer had they been able to beat Buffalo 
earlier on this year. That was a close loss for them. They felt close losses to Gonzaga. Uh, but I want to talk about Buffalo now in the MAC. They're another team that's heavy favorite in going into the conference tournament. Team a lot of people like to to win not just one, but a couple games in the NCAA tournament. Jason, what do you like about this Buffalo team, and do you think anybody in the MAC can challenge them? Uh, yeah, I think uh, a couple teams could challenge them in the MAC, and uh, one is Toledo, which we've talked about in previous podcasts, and the other one is Bowling Green, and all it takes is one game. Um, but Buffalo is really, really good, and they have been all year long. Um, CJ Massenburg, that's he's going to be the he's going to be the conference player of the year. He doesn't have to, but he has the ability to put the team on his back and carry them the wins. So, I do think Buffalo wins the MAC, but it would not surprise me if they had you know a one or two possession game in the semis or the finals against Toledo or Bowling Green, depending on how the bracket shakes out. Well, they've had a couple of games like that during the regular season where they'd go on the road and play in these tough environments. Bowling Green one sticks out in my mind. Uh, Adam, maybe outside of Buffalo, because I think we can all expect Buffalo to win, uh, at least have, admit they're heavily favored. Which MAC team, if they were to get the auto bid, do you think might be the most dangerous in the tournament? Um, I would have to go with Toledo. I mean, you know, they've, they, you know, played pretty well the other side, you know, they, uh, uh, played, you know, Buffalo tough. I mean, I know they got blown out the one game, but that was a game where Buffalo couldn't miss and it was just ridiculous. Um, but I would say Toledo, um, you know, bowling, I, I'm with, you know, Jason Bowling Green, you know, look, you know, played them tough too, but, um, those two teams, I think, you know, could sneak up on somebody a little bit. Um, but I just, uh, you know, going back to the tournament, you know, unless Buffalo just messes up, I just, I think it's theirs. Um, it'll be interesting to see if, if one of the other two can creep up and get in the championship game and maybe make some, you know, you know, get on the bubble there and maybe make it in. Connor, I want to talk broader for a second before we get into the rest of these conferences. Cause so, most of the ones we've talked about so far have legitimate potential to be two or in the SoCon's case, even a three bid leagues. How many of these leagues, these conferences do you think will get multiple bids into the tournament? <sighs> I want to say a lot. Uh, I want to say this is the year of the mid-major, but I think that there are so many major conference teams on the bubble. And if you start giving it to one, you have to kind of give it to a lot of them for Like if you start giving it to one because they played a tough schedule, you have to give it to a lot of them. So part of me wants to say that outside of the SOCON, possibly the MAC and the Mountain West, uh, there's not a lot of mid-majors that are going to be able to justify themselves against some of the other teams that I don't think we recognize universally as being worthy of getting in, but have those wins to set them apart, like in Indiana, for example. I think that looking at the resume and looking at how well they've played, you would want one of these 20-25 win mid-major teams to get into the tournament. But are you going to discount Indiana, who beat Michigan State, um, plays in the Big Ten, had a relatively good non-conference slate? I don't think so. So 
realistically, I think you're going to see probably four or five mid-majors get at-large bids. But outside of that, I don't think it's going to be this big year of the mid-major that everyone is kind of hoping for. Yeah, I think it would be nice to see mid-majors take advantage of the weak bubble. But honestly, none of them have really have the resume to do so. Adam, I think it comes down to, to like Connor said, the Indiana who had that awful, awful two months, but have the quality wins. And then maybe going up against, let's say, a Furman who has a good win in, in Villanova and some good wins in SoCon play, but also have, you know, the metrics you would expect of a, a mid major that's not quite in the top tier of the mid majors. If you're on the committee and you're picking between Indiana's resume and, let's say, Furman's resume, which one of those two are you taking? I mean, to me, Indiana is one of those weird things because they do have the two wins over Michigan State. They beat Marquette early. But literally, I'm pretty sure they're 3-12 and 12 in their last 15 games. They are 6-12 and 12 in the Big Ten. They're behind Illinois and Rutgers, and they're 15-14. and 14. Like, to me, I get it. They have big wins, but at what point does, like, you know, like just common sense come in and be like, this team is nine games under 500 in the last 15 games. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, to me, put Furman in. Like, they've done more. They, they've worked through the conference. I mean, I just – I I mean, I'm partial because I'm – but I, I cover the Big Ten. But, I mean, Indiana's just not been good. I mean, outside of Michigan State, they beat one team lately. And it's just – it's ridiculous if they make it in. And that just goes back to – uh, you know, valuing a major team more than you would a mid-major team. I think that's a classic case of let's give the mid-major an opportunity over a team that can't seem to get out of their own way. But but that's the issue is that looking at the criteria, there are two things missing that would re- that would be required to look at an Indiana and say they don't deserve to be in and they don't consider conference uh, as anything other than 18 games that are added to your total and they don't look at any month separate from another. So games played in February are the same as games played in November. And I think that that's where you're going to see them justify teams like Indiana and others that don't necessarily belong, but they did enough in November and December to put together a resume that's tournament worthy. Um, You saw it with Arizona state last year. It's, it's, it's just the way it is. And I, I want to say they should add those criteria on, but I think that if you're playing in a tougher conference, there is a justification for not having that held against you at such a high degree. So it's a balancing act. um, And I I don't think that there's a right answer to it. Jason, do you think they should institute some sort of criteria where you have to be at least 500 in conference Mm -hmm. play uh, that's been thrown around. Do you think something like that needs to be instituted? I I think something has to be. Because this has been my soapbox for years. Uh, I put on Twitter probably a couple weeks ago, my plea to the committee is stop rewarding teams for having opportunities and start punishing them for not taking advantage of them. Because that's what they're doing with uh, high major teams. Like, Indiana, I can see because they swept Michigan State, that probably gets them in. But teams like Clemson, like Minnesota, like Oklahoma, who, okay, they have the number one strength of schedule in the country. To me, that has more to do with the formula than the teams that are actually on their schedule. 
that they haven't beaten. I mean, they're going to end up Big 12 play, what, 6-12? and 12? And they're still in the field. And that's, that's why I, I wrote a couple weeks ago, at some point with all these numbers and computers and metrics and all that thing, wins and losses have to matter. The point of the tournament is to win games. So can we get back to that too? The interesting decision that the committee is going to have have is say Indiana loses against Illinois at Illinois, beats Rutgers, and then loses the first game of the Big Ten tournament. They'd be a 500 squad, not, not in conference, they'd be a 500 ball club, but they'd still be on a lot of people's bubble watch. I don't think, I think that if you were to institute a criterion like that, it would have to be a season long criteria. If you are a 500 ball club or below, you're, you shouldn't make it in unless you win the auto bid. Um, because then it would, yeah, major conferences might schedule easier, but it would also force them to make that decision. Do we want to schedule harder and maybe boost our resume or do we want to schedule easier and maybe become that bubble team? It, it would put the onus on them, but Indiana... I think would still be on the bubble with a loss to Illinois and a loss in their first game of the big 10 tournament as a 500 club. And I don't think that's necessarily the right thing to do. Well, to put things in perspective in a normal year, the margin for error for a mid major team to get in that large bid is razor thin. This year, we've always talked about the bowl being so soft as soft as we can ever remember. And some of these teams like Furman, like Murray state, are having fantastic years, and they're still not even considered. Um, they're on the bubble, and most of them are on the outside looking in right now. So how how much more of a margin of error do they have when the, the high major teams are so bad, and they're having fantastic years, and they still can't even really get in the conversation? What are they supposed to do? Because the teams that the committee would want them to play – those teams aren't going to touch them with a 10-foot pole. I, I, I do think that, bouncing off that point, Jason, if there is going to be a year, a year where we see that kind of reform or something happen, whether you think it should or not, this would be the year where that would spur on that kind of change if a bunch of these mid-majors are left out in favor of teams with much lesser, let's say more closer to 500 resumes like in Indiana – um, you know, maybe a Xavier or Georgetown from the Big East, if they end up sneaking in over some of these teams, I think that's when we may start to see some legitimate reform because there would be, I think, more calls for there to be something to give these mid-majors a, a better chance. We only have a little bit of time here left, and we've got a couple more uh, conference tournaments yeah. this week that we, that um, we need to run through. Yeah, I'll just run through them then. Okay. Uh, so I think, I mean, I'm keeping track of the games. I think it's it's pretty close enough to call most of these ASUN games right now. So I guess we'll jump into that, seeing as that's the only other conference with anyone in kind of that bubble at large position. Um, Jason, so right now, yeah. if the scores hold, it'd be NJIT um, against Lipscomb and then Liberty against North Florida in the quarterfinals or semifinals. Sorry. Um, of Liberty and Lipscomb, and, and those two have been kind of in that bubble conversation for most of the year, who do you think has the best shot to get an at-large bid? And who do you think has the best shot to win the tournament? 
I think the answer to that is Lipscomb on both ends. Uh, like like St. Mary's and like Murray State, uh, Liberty just doesn't have the scheduling to get it done for an at-large bid, so they would have to win the conference tournament. Yeah. Adam, what about you? Do you think if Lipscomb gets an at-large or wins the tournament that they have the ability to make some sort of Cinderella run? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, they, they're just – they're tough. They're – you know, they play good team basketball. Um, you know, they, they've had some good wins. I just think, you know, there's one of those teams that, that nobody's going to want to see in the bracket. Um, and then, you know, like Jason said earlier, it's going to depend on matchups. But, you know, I think they catch the right team. You know, they, they could win a couple games. Um, but, I you know, I could, I could definitely see teams not wanting to see them in their, their side of the bracket. Yeah. What, what about you, Brian? Do you think that of those four teams, um, the NJIT, Florida Gulf Coast score is still pretty close, so I'm going to hold off on that. But uh, I guess of those those four, those four, three teams, uh, Lipscomb, Liberty, uh, or I guess of Liberty, NJIT, and North Florida, does anyone have a shot at uh, unseating Lipscomb? Can, can Liberty win, or do you think that Lipscomb is kind of the odds-on favorite? I think Lipscomb is the odds-on favorite, but if I were to go with the team, I would go with Liberty for the simple fact that I think they can catch – they're good enough to catch Lipscomb on an off game. The way Lipscomb plays is very up and down, shoot a lot of threes. It's very fun. We saw them test UNC last year in the first round of the tournament for about 20, 25 minutes and put a real scare in, into UNC before their, that style kind of proved to be ineffective. When they're hitting all their shots – and uh, getting up down the court and doing what they want to do, they're extremely dangerous. But and Liberty the did beat them in, in Nashville, uh, what, like three weeks ago. They beat them by eight. So Right. And at, at the same token, the way Lipscomb plays, kind of like Auburn, if they're missing their perimeter shots, they're not very effective. And that can make them vulnerable for an upset in this kind of one-game sample size that is March. Yeah. So one conference tournament that we have yet to mention that's going on this week, it's – a pr always an exciting conference tournament. It's produced quite a few Cinderella's in the past, but this year seems to be a down year. Although it, everyone is right there at the top. Adam, who do you have winning Arch Madness in St. Louis to win the Missouri Valley Conference auto bid? Oh, that's I, I'm, I'm excited to watch this one. Man, I'm, you know... The top two there, Drake and Loyola Chicago, you know, they both play pretty well. Man, it's, it's going to be tough to pick against Loyola Chicago just because of their experience with the tournament last year. Um, I know they've kind of had a down, you know, season for what they were expecting coming back, but um, I wouldn't be surprised at all. You know, I, I'm going to have a tough time picking against Loyola Chicago. Um, but, you know, Drake's obviously right there. It should be fun. Um, Brian, so obviously Loyola Chicago is having what many consider a down year. Um, mm -hmm. I think, I don't know if you'd make the same argument as me. I don't think that they were, their expectations were uh, what they should have been. I think they had high expectations compared to what they had uh, talent-wise coming into the year. So I don't necessarily think they underperformed. But obviously a lot of people have them as a 14 or a 15 seed do they have enough to upset a two or a three seed in the NCAA tournament? I don't think so. They don't have the explosiveness they had last year. They have 
I would say a majority of the core group returning from last year's team. That's why they had those lofty expectations this year. But we've seen all year that they haven't been able to replace those two or three guys that they lost in terms of their offensive production. And this is a loyal team that you know wasn't beating teams by scoring 80 and 90 last year. They were winning games at the buzzer by two or three points in the low 60s. And so you you know you lose 20, 25 points a game from a couple of key players and you don't replace them. Uh, you're not the same team. And even if they're in, I like their experience uh, to win uh, the Missouri Valley tournament. I, I think that plays a difference, especially Clayton Custer at point guard. I think he's a real difference maker, uh, especially in that tournament. But when you get into the NCAA tournament and you're in an unfortunate seed line as a 14 or 15 and you're playing against a bigger, better team, that lack of firepower outside of your top two or three guys is going to show itself. Right. Jason, looking at the Missouri Valley, um, outside of Drake and Loyola Chicago, is there another team that you think could win multiple games in a row and take the auto bid for the conference? To me, it's a team that's had a down year, and that's Illinois State. I mean, you, they have Malik Yarbo and Phil Fane. They average over over 32 points a game and 13 rebounds. And they've been there before. They've done it before. So if, if it's a team outside of Loyola and Drake, I would go with Illinois State. Yeah, I think it's going to be definitely interesting because they they do have Loyola and Drake tied at the top, but they have quite a few teams that are 9-9, nine and nine and they could really go either way. Um, I know my girlfriend personally picked Bradley to win it, so you know anything can happen. Um, it is one of the most exciting mid-major conferences year in and year out when it comes to the first week of championship week. So I think that uh, it'll be fun to watch. Another conference, as I mentioned before, that's always fun to watch is the Metro Atlantic Athletic Mac. Conference. Mac. <laughs> this conference, even in years where there's a clear favorite, is fun to watch. This year, Iona's number one at 12 and six. The sixth seed, Monmouth, is at 10 and eight. Two games separate one through six. There are four teams that are at 11 and seven. Played in Albany, they hate each other. Brian, who do you have winning this conference? Because the teams are so close, I'm I tend to go with the team that has the best mix of talent and experience, and I think in this case is Ryder. I think Ryder could make their way through. I think it's going to be a, a tournament where we maybe see the four and the or the three and the four in the conference championship game, or you know the two and the six. Just, just some sort of crazy scenario in terms of matchups of, of seedings in the conference championship game. But because of how even it is, I like the talent and experience that Ryder has. Uh, Adam, is, the, is there any team you're looking at in particular that you think um, can walk away? I know they're all close, but is, do you think if any team really can just take it and run with it that that exists in the MAC this year? I'm, t- I'm telling you, if I said I was, I'd be, I'd be lying. Um, I mean, you look at it like, I mean, there's only three teams over 500 in this whole conference. I mean, I don't think anybody has put together that good of basketball to just sit there and run away with it. I, I mean, and to be quite honest, if I were to pick a winner, I'd be lying too. Like, I just don't have a clue. Like, of all the conferences, this is the one that I think you flip a coin, 
and have as good a chance as anybody else or pick a name out of a hat. I just, I can't, I mean, you know, I like what Brian said about Ryder, but besides that, I just, I don't know. I mean, heck, I, you know, Mammoth could come out and win it. I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm puzzled by this conference, and I just, like Ryan, Brian said earlier too, it's, it might be entertaining basketball, but it might not be the best basketball. But either way, it, it should be a fun tournament. Jason, it's obviously going to be a chaotic tournament. Uh, there's a bunch of teams that can win. Do you think that location in Albany is of any benefit to Siena heading into this <laughs> tournament? Funny you should say that because I was anticipating you asking me who I thought was going to win. And while I agree with Brian that Ryder would be my pick, my other pick would be Siena because of playing in Albany. And they have a, a freshman guard named Jalen Pickett who is averaging over 15 points, four rebounds, and nearly seven assists a game. Uh, and he's from Rochester. So I think if, if they win their first-round game and the crowd gets going with them and that whole uh, atmosphere uh, gets them going, they could go on a run. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I also have Sienna winning it. And I think it's interesting that of the three of us who gave – an answer. We're pretty <laughs> unanimous that the winner of that four or five game is going to win it, which I don't think you can look at any other conference and have it unanimous. The four or the five seed is going to win this conference in any other conference, but the Mac. So um, it'll be fun. Um, there is another conference that is pretty close at the top. And that is the Northeast Conference. Uh, you know, all these teams, nobody really knows about them on a national scale because they don't get a lot of coverage. They do reseed after the first round. So if someone pulls an upset uh, in that bottom half of the, the, the bracket, I guess they would probably have to play the one seed in St. Francis. Brian, is there any team in particular... Uh, they're like the Mac. They don't really have a lot of good squads, but any team in particular that you've been impressed with this season? No, to be quite <laughs> frank. <laughs> no. I mean, the, the conference is fine, but when your first place team, or two of them, in Freddie Dickinson and, and St. Francis, Pennsylvania, have six losses in a conference like the Northeast Conference, uh, you're not playing top-level basketball, so to speak. If I had to pick a champion right now, I'd probably go with Fairleigh Dickinson because they're the hottest of, of all those teams at the top. They've won five games in a row. But I don't have any confidence that that's going to happen. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up Fairleigh Dickinson. I think that even though they are the hottest, in terms of those, those teams that can really make an upset, and I don't count a four over a five an upset, I also think Wagner – is the most uh -huh. poised to win that game of the lower seeded teams. So while Fairleigh Dickinson is the hottest going into the tournament, I think Wagner could pull an upset. Jason, is there another team in the yes. bottom three, LIU, Brooklyn, Wagner, or Bryant, that you think could win that first round game? That That's it. It's LIU. I mean, they won the tournament last year. Um, they have probably, in my opinion, the second best player in the conference in Raekwon Clark. And they bring back, I, I believe it's three of their top four scores from that team that played Radford last season in the first four. So 
if if there's a dark horse, if you can call a dark horse in that conference, for, for me it would be Long Island. Adam, it is played at campus campus sites. So St. Francis, Pennsylvania is going to have home court advantage throughout the course of the tournament if they keep winning. Do you think that in a in a conference this close where they're they're all not that great, that home court advantage makes a bigger impact or less of an impact? I would think it makes a, a bigger impact because when you when you get teams that are that close, um, any advantage they can get is is a big one. I mean, I know you know I, you know covering the Big Ten that you know just being at home in that conference is a huge thing. So um, no different in this one. Um, so I think you know St. Francis does have that edge playing at home, um, but kind of like the MAC. Um, they're so close together that I, I can see anybody winning this game. I just know uh, Virginia is hoping to get one of these teams in the first round. Great. Moving on to we, we have a couple more conferences. <laughs> I I mean, we're, we're busting through some of these conferences because I know a lot of us are not really that intrigued to watch them, um, but we, we have to. Uh, moving, moving on. Hofstra early in the season, or I guess maybe heading into January, was a favorite or, or a team people were looking at as a possible Cinderella. To me, they've kind of fallen off, maybe come back to earth a little bit in the past couple of weeks. Adam, are they still the favorite to win the Colonial, or is there another team that you think could be heading into this conference tournament a, a better fit to win the conference? I think they, they've got to be the favorite going into it. Um, you know, I was looking at, uh, you know, some bracketology and, you know, they have them, you know, sitting against a team, you know, that I cover in Michigan. And I was thinking that might be a team I kind of want to stay away from. Um, so I think, you know, they have the, the, the best resume. They look like the best team in that conference. Um, you know, I know the top four teams are all kind of, you know, streaking here a little bit, you know, some, some winning streaks. So I think any of them, could, you know, maybe jump in there. But if I had to place some money down, I'd, I'd pick Hof Hofstra. Brian, you looked excited when I started bringing up the Colonial. Do you have Hofstra winning? Is there another team that you think could Give sneak up? Give me all up? of Hofstra. As, as you mentioned, in, in tournaments like this, one player can make a difference. And Justin Ray Foreman is that kind of player. He's the kind of guy who could win Hofstra game by himself in the NCAA tournament, not necessarily just in the CAA tournament. If they were to lose, though, I think the team would be Charleston because the tournament is being played in Charleston and College of Charleston has some of the best uniforms in the game. In those <laughs> <laughs> they're fantastic. Uh, still, though, I, I think Hofstra, I think – I know they've, they've slipped up a little bit of, of late, but I still like what they have overall in the roster and especially with right form in there. Uh, I, I think they'll win, and I think depending on the matchup they get in the tournament could pull a first-round upset in the NCAA tournament. Jason, heading into this tournament, Hofstra, I mean, it's played in, in Charleston, and Hofstra didn't necessarily perform all that well against Northeastern. Could one of those two teams win, or do you also have Hofstra as, as the team you want or you think is going to win, hands down? Well, yeah, I think Hofstra wins. I don't know if it's hands down, but I wouldn't sleep on either Northeastern or Charleston. But if you're a big fan of guard play, you should be praying for a Hofstra-Charleston final because Justin Wright-Foreman versus Grant Riller 
if you want to have a game to watch. Brian, swinging back to you on Hofstra for, for one more second. I don't know what to make of their defense because for most of the season, it looked pretty decent. Um, mm -hmm. But in the last couple of games, they've given up 95 points, 104 points, 87 points. Uh, they, they, they brought it back against Delaware and Drexel, but obviously those two teams are not necessarily the cream of the crop. Uh, can we trust Hofstra's defense if they were to play a higher level team in the NCAA tournament or is, or is it too inconsistent to really consider them that big of a Cinderella? I'll, I'll give a little bit of a cop out here and I think we'll find out in the CAA tournament, whether it can be trusted or not teams, not just Hofstra, but uh, across the country have a tendency to go through a little bit of lulls in mid February where it's been a long season. They know March is right around the corner. They're kind of ready for the NSA tournament to get here, for, for March to get here, and don't necessarily play up to the level they normally play at or to the level they're capable of playing at. Uh, Villanova just went through that. Villanova went through it last year as well. There are a couple Big Ten teams, Adam, that are, that are doing it, but I, I, I think with Wisconsin and Iowa particularly, um, Maryland had, had a couple stretches as well. But there are teams that do this. And Hofstra, because of the way they played – earlier on in the year on defense, I think it may have just been more of a rough stretch for them more than anything else. But we'll find out in the CAA tournament. So if they haven't, then they're not going to win it and they don't have to worry about it. Um, but if they get it back, that would involve them probably winning the CAA tournament then, in which case I would feel comfortable about them in the NCAAs. Yeah, I, I I think I mean Hofstra was one of those teams that I listed as a possible Cinderella, but defense cons consistency on defense was my only concern. So moving on, we've got three more conference tournaments this week. The Horizon Con the Horizon League, I should say. Uh, I think a lot of people are looking at Wright State and Northern Kentucky as the top two, the two that everyone thinks is going to win. Jason, it is played in Detroit, and Oakland did split the series with Northern Kentucky during the regular season. Can Oakland pull an upset against Northern Kentucky and possibly take the conference? Um, yeah, they can. I still think either Wright State or, or Northern Kentucky will win, but as we've seen in recent years, the uh, – the top two seeds aren't necessarily guaranteed to even get there. And both of those teams have been um, Jekyll and Hyde a bit this season. So, yeah, I could see Oakland sneaking in there and um, earning a bid if it came to that. Adam, who would you have winning the rubber match between Wright State and Northern Kentucky if they were to meet in the finals? I got Northern Kentucky. Um, they've, you know – played better throughout the year. I think, um, you know, it was a close game against um, Wright State the first time. Uh, but, you know, kind of what we're falling into with all these conferences, you know, you know, you got a couple teams that are really close, you know, together. Um, they, they play each other tough, and it could go either way. Um, I just think, you know, Drew McDonald for Northern Kentucky, you know, is, is a little bit too tough, and for Wright State, and I think they will come out on top. Brian, Northern Kentucky, obviously, is I think the team that most people see doing better in the NCAA tournament as compared to Wright State. But they showed 
in the non-conference. They had a little bit of a tough time with the stronger defenses of UCF and Cincinnati. Can Wright State push a two or a three seed if they're in that 14-15 area, or are they kind of just a, a one-game feel-good, but they're not going to win? Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think anybody in this conference really um, has the firepower to go up against the kind of team they would play in the first round, just because of seeding. Wright State may have a better chance if they're able to creep up, maybe on that thirteen line, uh, but they would have to have some other conference tournaments really go haywire, and some some really poor teams win those and get the auto bids to kind of move up that far. The problem with with the Horizon League. It's just because the, the overall level of play, overall level of play in the conference is down. Whoever wins is going to probably get stuck in that 15-14 game, in which case you're going up against teams that have legitimate national championship considerations. And a right state or anybody else in the league doesn't have that kind of firepower to compete with that level of competition for 40 minutes. Can they put a scare in somebody? Absolutely. But I don't think right state's good enough to actually win. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think I don't like Wright state. Um, and I think Northern Kentucky probably has a better shot at pushing it too. but again, they're not, these right. two seeds are all going to be teams that had a legitimate case for a one seed most likely. So I think it's going to be really tough in the NCAA tournament to if do. If you are a 15 anything. seed, you're going to want to hope Michigan state ends up on the two line somehow. <laughs> and, that you get that, and that you get them just because they're injured. Right. <laughs> yeah. Them or, yeah, I mean, they're the only team two seed possibility. Well, yeah, I mean, that it's not that Michigan state's bad by any stretch of the imagination. It's just with the injuries, they're the best of the bad options for a 15 or, seed. Or maybe somehow Kansas gets up there. Kansas is not getting a two seed. <laughs> I mean, unless you ask ESPN's BPI, Kansas is not even sniffing there. So moving on, we have got two conferences left. The next is the Patriot League. And I think most people would have Colgate and Bucknell as the two favorites in whichever order you want. Lehigh is good, but they also went 0-4 against those two teams. Brian, I don't know if you subscribe to the it's tough to beat a team three times in the same year. Can Lehigh upset both Bucknell and Colgate? They can upset maybe one. But CJ McCollum isn't walking through that door. Right. You know, they, they just don't have the, the guy or the guys you would want to rely on to win two of those games. Now, if, if things break a certain way, they may not have to. If you're asking if they can go through both of them, I don't think so. Jason, who do you have winning this uh, conference? I mean, obviously there's the three at the top and then everyone else is 500 or lower. Do you think any of those teams can upset one of the top three teams or do you think that, that one of the top three teams is going going to win? Uh, I I don't remember who I picked, but I, I think Colgate's going to end up taking, taking this one because – um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce their leading scorer's first uh, name, but he's uh, he's averaging over 16 points and eight boards a game. So, unfortunately for Bucknell, like Brian said, Mike Muscala is not walking through that door either. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, Adam, this would be, if Bucknell were to win, it'd be, I think, their third uh, Patriot League title in a row. Are you betting on a third title in a row, or do you also have a Colgate winning? I, I'm going to go with Colgate on this one. I think they're really closely matched. Um, but in this case, Colgate, you know, they're on an A-game winning streak. They're, they're playing really well. Um, so I, I would have to take that into consideration and, and have them. Um, and then, you know, Lehigh has a shot, but, you know, I, it is tough to beat a team three times in a year. But when you're better than them, you know, sometimes it really doesn't matter. And I think those two teams are a little bit better than Lehigh right now. Yeah, I, I don't remember who I picked. Um, I think I picked Lehigh just because I do think it's going to be tough or I think they're going to be better equipped to play the Bucknell and the Colgate. I think that Holy Cross is better than what their 10 seed would indicate. Um, I think they underperformed uh, more than any other team in the conference. So I think they'll beat Lafayette. I think they could push Bucknell. I'm not going to bet on them to win. But I think they're going to push Bucknell in the same way that a team may push a Gonzaga, which is they're going to give them a scare for 30 minutes. And it's going to get going to get some people uh, tuned in that would otherwise have skipped the entire game. So we've got one more conference. And obviously, I would be incorrect if I didn't mention that this is the only conference to produce a 16 seed that <laughs> has beaten a one seed. Obviously, Vermont is the favorite to win the America East. Stony Brook is right there with them. But UMBC came on in the second half of the season and made a little bit of a push uh, for that second spot in the conference. Jason, who do you have winning the America East? Uh, it's going to be a different year, same story. I'm going to go with Vermont. Uh, I just don't see anybody in the conference – having any ability to stop Anthony Lamb. He's the best player in the conference by far, and I think he carries them to another title. Adam, do you think that the Retrievers could be a feel-good story for the second year in a row, or do you think that Vermont is going to take care of business? I do think Vermont's going to take care of business, but you can't underestimate the fact of, you know, UMBC, you know, I know it's a little bit different team. I understand that, but, you know, when you have – a storybook like, or, you know, a Cinderella run. And it was just one game like you did last year. Sometimes that those, those feelings or those that the way you play come back. Um, so I wouldn't bet against them and I would not be surprised if they won. I don't think they will, but if they did come out and win it, I don't think it'd be a surprise to anybody. Brian, these games are played at campus sites and they reseed after the quarterfinals. Can we assume that Vermont is a lock to make the championship, even if they don't win? Or do you think that they could be upset in the first two rounds? I think they're locked to make the championship game. I would love to see them and Stony Brook play in that championship game because I think either one of them has the potential, if we're talking about those 15 seeds, potential 15 seeds, to win a game as a 15-14 seed. Stony Brook's beaten some good teams this year. I know they beat South Carolina early on in the year, and South Carolina has proven to be uh, a decent team, somewhat at least. Vermont went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse for probably about 35 minutes. The difference is, for me at least, Vermont was expected last year to be that team that made the tournament 
pulled an upset or two, basically do what UMBC did. That was supposed to be what Vermont did last year, except as a 12 seed. And they had it kind of ripped away from them at home on a last second buzzer beater. And I know Vermont had a lot of turnover, but some of those guys are back, particularly Anthony Lamb, who I think is far and away the best player in that conference. If they're at home hosting a championship game again, I don't think they're losing that game. I think that motivation is too big of a factor for them on top of, I think, the talent advantage that they have. So I think they'll end up winning. Yeah, for me, Vermont in the non-conference, they had four losses, but their four losses were Kansas, Louisville, Bucknell, and Lipscomb. So they weren't, I mean, outside of Bucknell, they weren't terrible losses by any stretch of the imagination. They're 0-2 this year against UMBC, and they're their only two losses in conference. And it wasn't like it was a one or two possession game. They lost by 13 at home and they lost by nine on the road. I think that if you're going by pure matchups, UMBC appears to be the Achilles heel. But I think that if you're going by motivation, the we can't get caught again by this team for the fourth time in a row, as it were, I think that Vermont is probably going to go into a game against UMBC with a motivation that I don't think they would otherwise. I think that their motivation is probably going to be the highest it's been all season against UMBC because of that, because of that kind of emotional factor. So I too am going with Vermont. So these aren't the only games going on this this week. I just wanted to get one or two quick thoughts about the end of the regular season for some of these high majors. It could be any high major conference you want. Um, please don't talk about the SWAC and the MIAC. No one cares about them. Uh, Brian, what what regular season games are you looking at this week to to kind of watch in between these conference tournaments? I'm going to go cop out here. I'm going to say Duke UNC. Because if Zion Williamson is not back against Wake Forest, I don't have any inside information, but 99% sure he'll be back for that UNC game. And I think everybody will be reminded of just how good Duke is and why they should be the odds-on favorite to win the national championship as long as everybody stays healthy. Are you buying into the conspiracy that Zion might not be completely healthy and Duke is just riding that he might come back until they get seated? No. I, I think it's more of them being extra cautious than anything else because if he was really hurt, they wouldn't have him doing the four-on-four, three-on-three. I think they're he's not five-on-five five yet, but they're just working his way back up to there. They wouldn't be doing that kind of stuff with him. Jason, what games this week are you are you looking most forward to? Well, I'm looking forward to uh, the Big 12 games, two of which are going on right now. The uh, – Texas, Texas Tech game, Kansas State, TCU, because I want to see how this Big 12 is going to shake out because it's been a quagmire of late. <laughs> you really don't know. Just when you think Kansas is done, they come back, and then you think Texas is done, they get a big win. So I want to see how that shakes out. But also don't sleep on uh, the way Cincinnati ends the season in the American. I believe they have two games left in. They're against Central Florida and Houston. So those will be two huge games as well. Yeah, Jason, what do you make of that? I'm still not convinced that Cincinnati's all that good, but they could very well win the American. 
They, they very well could. I'm working on that preview right now. Haven't gotten that far yet, though. Um, but that, that last game of the season could wind up deciding the top seed in that tournament. And uh, never underestimate a team trying to repeat as conference tournament champions, no matter how good they are. <laughs> Definitely. Adam, obviously you're a Big Ten guy. Is Yeah. Your- is Purdue going to win the conference regular season championship? Yes, they're going to because their schedule in the last month has been easy. Um, don't get me wrong. They've been playing really, really well, but they only had to play Michigan State once. They only played Michigan once. They haven't played Wisconsin in a month and a half, while Michigan's played Maryland twice, and they're going to play Michigan State here to end the year. Um, I think Purdue's – I mean, they got Minnesota – I think it's at Minnesota, so that that that's not an easy game, but I think they're going to win. But um, it'll be interesting if they, if they falter. You know, that Michigan-Michigan State game then is playing for a share of the Big Ten title. Um, you know, Michigan State got Michigan at Michigan, um, but and Michigan lost Charles Matthews during that game. But since then, they played really well against Nebraska and Maryland. So, you know, some are even debating if Michigan's a better team without Matthews on the court, which I think is a little debatable, but – um, I'm really looking forward to that game. I think, you know, Michigan has a good shot going uh, and beating at Michigan State. But, you know, Michigan State's also played the best game of the year, uh, or at least in the last month when they played Michigan, you know, a week and a half ago. So it should be an interesting uh, end of the season for the Big Ten. But to answer your question, Connor, in the, in the short, I think Purdue's going to win because I think they take care of business against Minnesota. And then Northwestern hasn't been able to beat anybody lately. So uh, they'll take care of Northwestern at the end of the year too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the two I'm looking forward to, to end the year, I'm looking forward to the closing stretch of the big East. Um, not because I think that any of those teams are particularly consistent. And I think that's why I'm looking forward to it. Uh, at one point we thought Marquette was probably guys on favorite to, to take sole possession of first place, but they've lost two in a row to at Villanova and then at home to Creighton and put themselves in a position where they might not win if they lose another game. And they play at Seton Hall and against Georgetown, who are both not, I mean, they're not great, but they could win. They could very well win those games. And obviously, as a West Coast guy, I'm looking towards the close of the absolute dumpster fire that has been the Pac-12 season. (laughs) Um, If you asked me a couple months ago, I would say that Washington is probably the odds on favorite at this point. I don't think that any team is out in terms of winning that auto bid. Uh, Cal has won two I'll still games say, in a row. I'll, I'll still plays, say Cal's out. I'll still say Cal's out. <laughs> <laughs> plays, but what I'm saying is, is that they've won two in a row. They play Stanford, which is always an emotionally charged game. They, they could win that game. Stanford's not that great either. They'll enter the Pac-12 on a three-game winning streak. My... My big hot take, I think, from this that everyone is going to to uh, make fun of is I think that Cal is going to win one game in the Pac-12 tournament. I think the Pac-12 is that big a dumpster fire, and because they're not going to have to play an Arizona State or a Washington to start, um, I think I think they win. I think that they're they've figured it out enough, late enough to maybe be overlooked by the team they're playing in the first round, uh, much like they were overlooked by Washington. So 
is the Pac-12 just that much of a dumpster fire, or is it that strong at the bottom? <laughs> it is that much of a dumpster fire. <laughs> Nothing about the Pac-12 is strong. Does that include Bill Walton? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if we're being honest, Bill Walton's the best part of the Pac-12 so far this season. Yes. So. Yes. <laughs> Nothing beats a good Bill Walton history lesson, as it were. So, but is there any closing remarks before we uh, head out to watch all the great conference tournaments? And I will argue week one of championship week is the best week because there's more on the line for these teams than there are is in most of week two is conference tournaments. It's yeah. March I'll jump Madness. off of that. That's right. It's March madness. And for people that don't really look forward to this, it's been major conferences. Who cares? I will say that a good majority of the teams that we've talked about on this podcast, if they make it to the big dance, have a good shot of winning a game or two, maybe more so than in years past. So let's get some more eyeballs on this week. Yeah, Brian, any closing remarks? Sit back and enjoy it. Best time of the year. Work as little as you can so you can watch as much basketball as you can. (laughs) Adam, just enjoy because I feel like every year it goes by way too fast. Yeah, Adam, you? I I, I just want to see some of the uh, the non favorites win, and then and hopefully get a couple of two big conferences, and maybe we can shut the Pac-12 out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my uh, my change.org petition is uh, it's not gaining much traction, but it should because the Pac-12 does not deserve a bid in this year's tournament. <laughs> nope, just very strong in the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us. I'm Connor Hope here with my co-host Brian Ralph. And thank you to Adam Childs and Jason Burgess for joining us for the week one of Championship Week. Uh, next next week, we're going to be joined once again by Neil Adler and Tristan Freeman to discuss week two, uh, which I'm sure is going to be, there's going to be a lot more discussion about bubble teams next week so you're not done with the bubble talk until after selection sunday that's going to do it for us thanks and we'll see you next week 